Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. All right, welcome to Liquid, everyone. It is great to see you guys, and so glad you're here for our new series, Work as Worship, in which we're going to talk about finding faith in your nine-to-five job. Wherever you work, whatever you do, uh, whether you're a teacher or a stay-at-home parent or you're a business person, a CEO, you work in construction or healthcare, it's significant. Uh, your work matters to God. Now, before we jump in, uh, I'm Pastor Tim, and we need to give a great big welcome to our sister campuses. So would you put your hands together and welcome Liquid Nutley, Liquid New Brunswick, and Liquid Mountainside. Glad you guys are with us. Or if you're watching online, we're thrilled you're part of uh, this. I'm very excited about this series because I've never really preached on the topic of work and faith before. Or, or when I say work, I mean your calling, your vocation. Uh, and I want to discuss how what you do Monday through Friday matters to God. So this is fresh territory, and I really hope it kind of inspires you to see how your work is really a form of 
worship. Now, that may sound strange, you know, work as worship, and that's because I think the majority of Christians tend to divide and they separate the two areas. Like, there's this work-worship divide, right? On the one hand, you know, worship is what we're doing right here. That's why we're in church. That's my, my spiritual activity. Like, when we pray, I think about God, learn how to follow Jesus. Worship happens on Sunday, but work is what happens, you know, Monday through Friday. That's how I make money or I put food on the table. Uh, you know, it's my job or my career. Uh, maybe even calling. Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who gets to use your special skills in some way that really blesses others or you feel like you're using your God-given talent. But all of us spend the majority of our waking hours doing some kind of work. Uh, some of us sit at an office or teach in a classroom. Others of us work with our hands or you raise your children. But the truth is we're all tempted to divide our faith into our spiritual time at church. That's my worship. And then there's the rest of the week. That's secular stuff Monday through Friday. I call it the work-worship divide. There's this disconnect between one's faith and one's job, between the secular, what I do for a living, and the spiritual, what I do for work. They're separate things. And if you think of people who try to typically integrate their faith into the workplace, all kinds of like disturbing images come to mind, you know? People who think, like, I got to bring God into work, so I'm going to open a coffee shop called He Brews, you know, like, kind of, right, okay? Uh, or a deli called I Love Cheeses, you know, get it, okay, kind of thing, uh, you know? Or you defiantly say Merry Christmas, you know, in the, in the supermarket checkout line instead of Happy Holidays. That's how I'm going to, you know, tell people about Jesus. It can be this kind of awkward or anemic image of what it means to practice our faith in our secular work. Now, I understand you may be like, well, that's easy for you, Tim, right? You're a pastor. That's your job. That means, you know, I'm a professional Christian, right? You're paid to be good, right? The rest of you are good for nothing, right? You know, kind of thing. But the Bible never tells Christians uh, to make this distinction between the spiritual and the secular. God never told us, hey, give me Sunday and then forget faith the rest of the week. In fact, in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul says this, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, and let's say the, the phrases in orange together, ready? As working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I want to build a bridge that reconnects our work and our worship and talk about work as worship. How what you do Monday through Friday really has a sacred purpose a deep faith component and brings glory to God in the marketplace or the classroom or home or wherever you spend your nine to five hours. Did you know that the average adult actually spends over half her life working? So it's significant. And today I want to look at what the Bible says about the purpose of our work and then introduce you to three Christians from our world who are integrating their faith into the workplace in some pretty cool ways. One of them is a fashion designer who works for Ralph Lauren right here in New York City. One is a businessman who owns a fast food franchise. And the third is a stay-at-home mom, right? Because how, how do you find God amidst the diapers, right? You know, where is the divine when, you know, your job is kind of wiping noses? You know, we're going to answer those questions in a moment. But let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And I'm not giving you the page number for this one, all right, people? This is the first page in your Bible. You can open it up. We put a page in notes also in your program today, and you can follow along and fill in the blanks. I want to ground ourselves in a basic theology of work, how God designed this, and see how work matters to him. 
Now, as you're turning there, let me open with a quick kind of yes or no quiz question, okay? Because I'm going to ask you this question. Is work part of the original curse? In other words, a lot of people hate, right? Those of you who like, you hate your job, you think, I have to work because of the original sin of Adam and Eve here in Genesis. What do you think? Is work part of the curse? Yes? How many would say yes? Okay. No? No? Okay. Okay. How many would say, I'm not sure, but my work makes me curse? Like that's, that's a different sermon, all right? It, it's actually not part of the curses. You're going to see here in Genesis, you're going to see in the opening chapters of the opening book of God's word, you're going to see that work, far from being a curse, was originally given as a gift by God to his children. Look at Genesis 2, 15, which says this. The Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Let's say it together, to work it and take care of it. What was Adam's job? Adam, I want you to work it, okay? The Hebrew word that God uses for work here is abad, which has the same root as the word worship. In other words, one of the ways that you and I worship God is by working. Both Adam and Eve, man and women, were created to work. It's one of the primary purposes that God designed humanity for. So work itself is good. Work itself is a gift. It's one of the primary ways that you reflect your Father in heaven. This is the first chapter of Genesis. Look, look at how God kind of, just skim over the first chapter, how God first reveals himself on stage. What is he doing? He is creating. He is working. He is calling things into existence. He speaks, and there's sun, moon, and stars, and oceans, and land, and animals, and birds. He speaks, and the world just kind of explodes in, into being and takes shape and form. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you're going to see 12 times we're told God worked and created and made something. And then he creates man, Adam, and he puts him into creation to work it and take care of it. Now, Adam was God's first human child, and Adam was just like his daddy. He was a worker. He was a cultivator. He was a landscaper. He was a zookeeper, okay? Adam worshiped God in the garden, not just by reading the Bible and praying and staying away from a few bad apples, Adam worshiped God by doing the work his father put him in the garden to do. Working is one of the primary ways we reflect our creator. Now notice here, how many days did God work? How many? Six. And what did he do on the seventh? On the seventh, he rested. So even God, you know, enjoys working for the weekend, okay? But what's interesting to me here in Genesis, look at this. Every time God creates something and he describes the work of his hands, here's the phrase that you're going to see over and over. And God saw that it was what? Good. Now watch, what's good? Good is good. But notice, good is not perfect. Perfect means that it can't be possibly improved upon. In other words, God creates and he intentionally leaves room for improvement. For you and I to take and shape the raw materials of his creation and make it better. Good is good, but good ain't perfect. Here's a way to understand it. If you see my wife, like, on a Friday night when we're going out for dinner, she is perfect, man. She looks perfect. She, you know, her hair is done, makeup on, nice dress. She cannot be improved upon. My wife is perfect. When she wakes up on Saturday morning and rolls out of bed, she's good. All right? It just, you understand what I'm saying? And this, and this is where you and I come in. Because as men and women, we're made in God's image. And God says, I want you to take the raw materials, what I created, which is good, and I want you to make it even better. As Genesis 1 says, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, so we reflect him. 
In the image of God, he created them, male and female, Adam and Eve, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, look at their original job description. Be what? Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every living creature that moves along the ground. Look at his mandate. Be fruitful. I want you to increase volume. I want you to fill and organize and produce and manage and rule. In other words, one of the ways you and I bear God's image is by being co-creators. We actually partner with our Father in nurturing and sustaining and cultivating, refining his creation. God created our world in a raw state, in a good state, so you and I could develop and cultivate it for his glory and for others' benefit. See, God didn't put you on the planet to be a guardian or a gatekeeper. Adam's job was not to be the gatekeeper of the garden. Let's keep everything exactly as it is. Adam was an actual gardener. He, he took the raw materials of the earth, and then he developed them for God's glory. Now think about what you do nine to five. If you're a contractor or you're a builder, that means you take the raw materials of sand and cement and you use them to create buildings. Artists take the raw you know, materials of color or music or words and they arrange them into a beautiful piece of art. Lawyers take principles of justice and they codify them into laws that reflect and uh, regulate society. That, this is the big idea, guys. See, if you're taking notes, I want to give you today Four qualities of work as worship. And the first one, if you're filling in the blanks, is this. Work as worship is a calling for every Christian. Now, you've heard that word calling before. And again, a lot of people say, well, a secular job is a career, but like a Christian job, like a pastor, that's a calling. But that is not true. Every Christian is called to work. We're created to find that purpose for which God wired you and put you on this earth. You know, I've heard it said before, there are two great days in your life. The first is the day that you were born. The second is the day you discover why you were born. That speaks to your calling or your vocation. You've heard the word vocation? Vocation comes from the Latin word of voca, which means call, like vocal. It's how God designed and wired you and is calling you to serve in his creation. And some of you know this. If you're one of the lucky ones, you may feel even at times at your work this kind of divine satisfaction in what you do. Not every day. But there may be times, you may not even be a Christian, okay? But when you do what you do, you're like, man, this is exactly why I was put on this planet to do this. Because you feel alive or you see the benefit to other people. It may be hard, it may be challenging, but it's deeply satisfying and rewarding to you. you know, I have the, you know, the joy of preaching every Sunday. I'm called to preach. I have a passion for it. Can you tell? I, I'm like, I love making the Bible come alive and applying to people's just everyday lives. And you know what? I never had any ambitions to make a living at it. <laughs> I started preaching long before I ever received a salary. And if I didn't work here, I'd do it somewhere else for free. Why? Because it's my voca. It's my vocation. It's my calling. It's my purpose. Now listen, my calling happens to be in full-time ministry. I work in the church, not the marketplace. But listen, this does not mean that your job is any less spiritual or significant than mine. This is so important that you get this. Everybody, everyone thinks a calling is like, well, that's for a pastor or a called to be a missionary. Uh-uh. If you're a business person or you're an executive or you work for a firm or a corporation or you, you, know, you create wealth or whatever it is, you are being fruitful and multiplying and you're doing ministry in the marketplace. God has called you to reach people that I will never, ever reach in my entire life. If you're a teacher and you shape and you mold little minds or you're raising kids at home, 
That's as spiritually significant as preaching to thousands every week in God's eyes. You are spiritually shaping the next generation. Even if you work, if you work in government, let's say you're a city official, or you're a planner or a zoning official, or you're a policeman, or you serve in the military, what are you doing? You're bringing order and protection to rule over, as God said in Genesis. You serve the public, and you safeguard our lives. If you're a waitress, or you're a, a west restaurant owner, or you work at the grocery store, you know what God uses you to do? He uses you to answer the prayer of thousands of people. What's the, what's the heart of the Lord's prayer? Lord, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Now, how does God answer that prayer every day? Now, he could open heaven and just drop bread down. He's done it before. He's, he has the, uh, the power to do that. But how does God most often answer that prayer? Give us this day our daily bread? By calling a farmer to actually plant seeds in Iowa. Then he calls a baker who turns the flour into bread. Then he calls a truck driver who drives it and delivers it. Then he calls somebody in marketing and advertising who helps package and promote it to the rest of us. And then he calls the chef who prepares the meal. All those callings are in play when God answers the most simple prayer for daily bread. Martin Luther said, our callings are like the masks that God wears in caring for his creation. Work as worship is a calling for Christians. J.D. Greer, who beautifully articulates this concept, he said, one of the most revolutionary concepts we can get is that all work is important to God. Not just the spiritual work of a missionary or pastor. We're all created in God's image, and as such, we're co-creators and doing divine work alongside our creator. Let me ask you this question. Do you see your work this way? Is that how, when you think about Monday morning, is that how you think, I get to go use my calling? Whatever you go use, the talents that God gave you, how do you think about that? I know Megan does. Let me introduce you to Megan. She's a young woman who works uh, locally right here in New York City as a clothing designer for Ralph Lauren. And I want you to listen how Megan describes worshiping God through her calling as a designer in retail. I grew up on a farm in the middle of Oregon, went to school in Seattle, and then after that moved to New York with some friends, kind of in search of an adventure, um, but also for a job in the industry. And started working for Ralph Lauren not too long after I got here, and slowly um, got to where I wanted to be in design. And I spearhead the conceptual part of the design process, and then also get to design garments um, until the very end, so I really, I'm a part of the creative process from start to finish. And so I think that's a really unique part of my job is getting to create and design something beautiful and something um, that's cohesive and pleasant to the eye. And yeah, I, I do that knowing that it's something that my creator has instilled in me. I think with any job that we're given, whether we like it or not, is meant to be done well and to the best of our ability and used as worship to our sovereign God who has placed us in that position. And I love to create, sketch things and choose colors and patterns and fabrics. And I do get to do that to God's glory and it is a form of worship. Um, with the design process, you're doing really similar things each season. And I think sometimes I do find myself getting a little bored, um, maybe anxious and it's in those times that I realize that my job is not just for my enjoyment, but it's really for God's glory. It's meant um, to be done well, and I need to maintain a level of work ethic and a quality of design that I'm proud of. Isn't that cool? 
Clearly for Megan, her job is something much more than making money, right? I would describe it as a calling. I mean, this young woman says, you know, I get to reflect God's creativity by designing beautiful clothes that are cohesive and pleasing to the eye. She likes to choose colors and patterns and fabric and design things. I love what she said. She said, I do that to God's glory as a form of worship. It's something my creator instilled in me. That's a calling. And see, whether you're a designer in retail or you're a, you're a banker, you're a salesperson, God has given each of us special skills to serve him in our job. Megan said, you know, I think with any job that we're given, whether we like it or not, it's meant to be done well to the best of our ability as an act of worship to our sovereign God who's placed us in that position. Work as worship is a calling for Christians. Your job is meant to be done well with a level of excellence. That's the second characteristic of work as worship. If you're taking notes, work as worship is performed with excellence. Whatever you do, Christians are called to work with excellence for one simple reason. Your work reflects the character of God, and God's character is excellent. Amen? If you flip over to Exodus chapter 31, there's this account of a couple of Old Testament craftsmen. Their names are Bezalel and Aholiab. I know you're like, I just read about them. You don't know who these guys are. But let me share this with you in Exodus 31. Here's what it says about Bezalel. It says, I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for what? For work in gold, silver, and bronze, cut stones, work in wood, all kinds of craftsmanship. And I'm reading this because these are guys who are just working on a construction project, okay? They're, just, they're building a tabernacle. But what's interesting to me is where did Bezalel's special construction ability come from? Look what it says. I have filled him with what? The Spirit of God. In other words, they were filled with the Holy Spirit to be empowered to do a special task. But notice, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and didn't preach a sermon. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they didn't speak in tongues. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they weren't missionaries. They worked with their hands. They were blue-collar guys. And yet God anointed them and empowered them to perform special tasks. And in this case, it was a construction project. But notice verse six says this, I've given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. See, when you and I read the Bible, we typically expect the Holy Spirit to come on, you know, apostles or prophets. But these are ordinary blue collar construction workers, skilled artisans, and yet their work was spirit inspired. And this is the idea, guys. Every believer has a God-given ability or gift meant to reflect the excellence of our creator. Whether you are a doctor or a nurse who is anointed, you're empowered by God to help bring healing to sick people. Or you're a salesperson who God empowers to deliver a good presentation. Or an artist that God inspires to create this, this profound work of art. Or a business person with the ability to create wealth. There's no dichotomy between the secular and the spiritual in God's eyes. 1 Peter 4 says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, meaning it's going to look different for everybody. But calling is simply the job that you perform with excellence because you have a special grace upon you. It doesn't have to be glamorous, okay? It can be high-end creative or mundane, 
But God created you for it, and the result is a life-giving thing to you, and it's also a blessing to others. It, it reminds me of Eric Little, the Olympic athlete. Have you guys heard of Eric Little? He was a gifted runner in the 1920s. Uh, that movie Chariots of Fire was based on Eric Little's life. And if you ha- Have you seen Chariots of Fire? If you haven't, totally worth renting. It was the best picture. Eric Little was a Christian, and he was also an extremely fast runner. And as he's preparing for the 1924 Olympics, he's confronted by his sister, who says, hey, you're a Christian, and you know, God, God wants you to be a missionary to China, because they had a passion for Asia. And Little responds, you know what, absolutely. I'm going to go to China at some point, because preaching the gospel is of paramount importance. But then Little said this, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. You ever feel that way at work? Like you feel his pleasure? Not all the time, but there are these moments. Some of you in this room, you know what I'm talking about. There's something in your vocation that you love and you feel like, man, this is just in my wheelhouse. I was made for this. And when I do it, I feel God's pleasure. I feel like I can actually feel the Holy Spirit working through me when I do this task. At one of our campuses, I was talking with um, an inner city school teacher, and, and I said, hey, how are your classes going? And her face just kind of lit up, because she's in a hard scrabble place in the inner city. And she started talking about her students and how the dropout rate is about 30%. And I expected her to you know, like be depressed. And she just lit up, and she got all teary. She's like, Tim, I can't believe I get to represent Christ in the classroom to these kids. I may be the only functional adult that they see all day. And I get to mold them for 90 minutes, my kids. She kept calling them my kids. There's like this sense of ownership. That's a calling, okay? And it's also hard work. I don't want to pretend a calling isn't challenging. But some of the hardest work in callings that you do is also the most rewarding. Another guy I was talking to is a businessman. I, we we're going out for lunch, so I went to his uh, office. He has kind of a corporate office. And, and while I was sitting in his office, we kept getting interrupted by all these coworkers and people on his team that kept popping in. Can I ask you this and that? And he managed a team of like 50 or more people. And I was amazed at the way that he handled them. He is in a very fast, you know, kind of paced, high-pressure industry. And I watched him, and he didn't be like, you know, I'm meeting here with the pastor. He, each one came in, and he patiently listened to everyone. He was very kind, very directive, yet he didn't boss or manipulate them. And I just watched him handle this with, with such an ease. And I was like, man, God wired him for this exact position of management. If that was me, I'd be gone in two seconds, you know? And so we go to lunch, and he says, Tim, I could never do what you do. Uh, I am glad I'm not a pastor. I can't imagine the pressure you have. And I was like, dude, I thank God I don't do what you do. I, I would pull my hair out. You know, well, maybe not my hair. But it, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be a stretch for me. You know what I'm saying? See, God doesn't want us to switch roles. My, my friend is doing ministry in the marketplace, and he's representing Christ to his coworkers in the way that he operates his business with excellence. It's a source of pleasure to him. It is a blessing to others, and it brings glory to God. Now, One word of clarification here, all right? Because I understand there are some of you who are here sitting and you're thinking, well, that's great for your friend, all right? Or for you, Tim, or the designer girl in the video, whatever. I hate my job, okay? Uh, It's not creative. It's not particularly rewarding. I don't really see the significance. There's a good reason for that. If you flip the page over to Genesis 3, one of the curses of the fall is that work became hard, became frustrating and toilsome. God said to Adam, because you sinned and you ate fruit from the tree and you disobeyed, watch, cursed is the ground because of you through, what's it say here? 
painful toil, you will eat food from it. It will produce what? Thorns and thistles for you. In other words, the work that I originally designed as a gift is now cursed. In addition to bringing you pleasure, it will also be a source of pain. Thorns and thistles, right? That's something you know what I'm talking about, right? Because work can sometimes be fulfilling, but it could also be very frustrating, draining at times, toilsome. Some of you are like, man, I hate my job. I only do it to survive or put food on the table, right? You're like, I identify. Or your boss is a difficult person. Anybody have a difficult person for a boss? Or you work, no, don't, don't point, don't point. They'll be like, it's right over here. I invited them. It's like, you know. um, or you work with people, you know, who just sort of drive you nuts, you know? And like, when you like, pray for those people in your lives, your prayer is like, you know, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. You know, you're like, you're, you're just these people. All those effects are part of the sad result of the curse. And you may have to endure that. Verse 19 says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. Blood, sweat, and tears. That's where we get the phrase from, right here in Genesis 3. This is a major reality check, especially for college graduates who are entering the workforce. One of the challenges for millennials, for, for the next generation, is that we often kind of idealize our work. Um, one author described the problem this way. He says, our generation insists that work be fulfilling and fruitful, that it fully fit our talents and all of our dreams, and that we be paid exorbitantly for it. <laughs> yeah? Okay, this sounds great. This sounds awesome. Newsflash. This is not the world we live in. This is the world Adam and Eve used to live in. So what do you do if you have that type of work? If your job is boring or your boss is a jerk? The answer, according to the Bible, is that you have to remember who you're really working for. Colossians 3 counsels us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? The Lord, not for human masters. It is who? The Lord Christ you are serving. In other words, why do we work hard as followers of Christ? Why do we treat our coworkers with compassion or our bosses with respect, even if they don't deserve it? Because in a sense, they're not the boss of you. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. I reminded our staff of that, this, the truth this week. I was like, guys, you understand, you don't work for liquid. You work for the Lord. So let me say it to you. You don't, you don't work for Verizon or, or Novartis or a bank. You work for the Lord Christ. You aren't just serving customers at the gas station or grocery store. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. And that reality should change or charge our work with this divine significance, what we do nine to five. Because if our work is truly done unto God, then it's worth doing with the highest standards of excellence. Because the object of your work is secondary. Your primary calling is to reflect God's character in whatever you put your hands to. And God's character is excellent. He's worthy of our best. So whether your job is stocking shelves or it's mopping floors or it's grading papers or writing contracts, you have a higher boss than your company. You work for a higher reward than a paycheck. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, like Jeff. Let me show you a guy who gets this. Jeff is a businessman who owns and operates uh, three fast food franchises. He is very successful. But Jeff is also a believer. And I want you to listen how Jeff leverages his secular work as spiritual worship. As I started working in the restaurant business, being around people and not being in a cubicle or anything else of that nature, I really enjoyed it. 
And I said, you know, this restaurant business is kind of fun. We came on with Chick-fil-A in 1997 after I saw the, the cows on a billboard. For me, my purpose in life is to glorify God, to know Him, and to make Him known. My strength, um, I think, is being able to have conversations with folks. And I have three Chick-fil-A restaurants, and they're each different concepts. But the one thing they have in common is people. Most of the time when I meet someone new, the first thing I want to think of, I wonder if this guy is a believer. What's he been through today? Everybody has a story. If someone's, here's a gentleman over here eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich. What if he had something over his head that you could read that whatever he went through last week or yesterday, what if it was something really bad and you could sit down and share the gospel with him if he needed that? But if he was a believer, what if he needed encouragement? Every customer that comes through that door, I believe God sent him to me. Scripture tells us that we were created to worship. And one way to worship is going to work. Going to work every day and doing the best you can. Selecting people to surround you, to, to lift up the name of the Lord in this business as we make a difference in people's lives. When that guest walks in the door, we're able to interact with them. And maybe they had a bad day. It gives us a chance to make them happy. I feel like I'm in a ministry every day. I was called to be a missionary in my own backyard. One of the things that struck me about Jeff's story is here's this guy who's pretty successful, right? He owns and operates three franchises. And yet notice he didn't talk about profits. He talked about people, okay? He lit up when he described interactions with his customers. And you could sense this like decency in the way he cared for his employees. And this really is a great illustration of the third quality of work as worship. Work as worship is done with integrity. Whether you're the guy who owns the business or you're the gal who sleeps the floors, Christ followers are called to reflect the highest standards of ethics in our work. A lack of integrity, sadly, it's nothing new in the workplace um, or the government, right? Um, you may have heard of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He, was a, he worked in the British government. And uh, one time, Doyle played a practical joke on his colleagues. He sent an anonymous telegram to uh, 12 of his fellow politicians, and the telegram said, flee at once, they're about to discover what we're doing. And he checked back in six hours, and all 12 were packing bags to leave at once, okay? Sadly, a lack of integrity is common in our culture. But work that worships God will conform to the highest standards of ethical behavior because it reflects the integrity and justice of God himself. Business ethics really do matter for a Christ follower because our work's done unto God, and the way we conduct our business reflects on Christ. Proverbs 11 says this um, about it. It says, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A, a dishonest scale means, you, you know, you cook the books, you pad business expenses, right? You fudge mileage reports, you skimp on time cards, you call in sick and go on vacation, you underreport income, so on. What does God's word call these? What's the word here? Abomination. This is a varsity word, okay? This is strong language. God reserves this word in Scripture typically to talk about things that deeply offend Him. So to worship God in your work means that you actually hold to higher standards than even the world. You go above and beyond the world's standards. And it's very sad. I want to challenge you because I can't tell you how many Christians I talk to who say, you know what, I just hate doing business with other Christians. Have you ever heard that? And I always go, why? And they say, because I'm always, I'm always worried about being screwed. These are Christians describing doing business with other Christians. And whenever I say, what do you mean? They typically say like, one guy said, well, you know, I find that um, other believers take advantage, you know? 
They may not pay me on time. They're like, you understand. Or, you know, they don't deliver the work that was promised. Or they kind of ask for a brotherly discount because, you know, we're both, we got the blood, that kind of thing, you know, without a real cause. Listen, if you're in business, men and women, the way you conduct your business is not just a reflection on your company. It's a reflection on Christ. And when you shortchange somebody or you cut corners or you overpromise and underdeliver, it's a stain on your Savior. You are Jesus' representative in the marketplace. You know what that means? It means you represent Jesus to those you do business with. And that's why work as worship has to be done with the highest levels of integrity. So that means in your marketplace, you let your yes be yes and your no be no. You underpromise and you overdeliver. Don't misrepresent. Don't be stingy. Be generous. Go above and beyond what the world requires. And again, whether you're a business owner or you're an employee or a customer, let me just share a little principle that should guide everything you do. And whatever you do or say, remember, people are always greater than profits. Can we say this together? People are greater than profits. At the end of the day, the way you treat others, especially those beneath you on the food chain, is what others remember and Christ will reward in his kingdom. So understand this. When I say that, making a profit is not bad. I want you to hear that, okay? The ability to earn money and create wealth, that is a God-given gift. But if you're a business owner who values people over profits, it means you'll actually ask the harder questions of your company. Like, I know we can make a profit from this, but is it genuinely helpful to people, right? If you're in like pharma or medicine, you know some products or practices come on the market that you're like, they're legal, but I don't know they really help people, you know? And so you ask a harder question. You say, you know what? I know we can make a profit from this, but does it really improve people's lives? Or how can I use my business, not just to enrich myself, but to bless other people? See, understand what I'm saying. There's no dichotomy between the two. Like people good, profits bad, just the opposite. Good, profitable businesses are one of God's greatest blessings to the poor. Let me tell you. Good ethical businesses that care about people make the water go up and all boats rise. We just saw that with our Christmas offering, right? I was blown away by the radical generosity of so many working men and women, working families in this church. I mean, we had a goal, a big goal, giving away $600,000 to feeding the homeless people, 200,000 meals in 2015, right? And I'll be honest, I thought that was a huge stretch. But you know what's humbling? Working families and business owners sacrificially gave over $880,000 to the work of God. Can we thank them for that radical generosity? Because that's God caring for the poor through you. I praise God, those of you who sacrificed some of your salary or your company's profits or family earnings, and you donated that to the work of God. That's work as worship. Truly, from my heart, I can't thank you enough because I understand, it doesn't escape me. Every dime that was donated, somebody worked hard for that. And we take that very seriously. We treat it with the highest integrity at Liquid Church because work as worship means you reflect the generosity of Christ. And we gladly give away a lot of the personal profits to help and bless other people. Why do we do that? Because we're good people? Uh Uh-uh. Because that's what Jesus did for us. 2 Corinthians 2.8. If you want a verse to memorize the new year, this is one I'm, I'm putting to memory. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became what? Poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. What's Paul's point? He's like the most powerful, influential, successful human being to ever walk the face of the earth. Did what? He gave away his wealth and his power. 
though Jesus was privileged and blessed. He leveraged that power and used his strength to serve people who were beneath him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. We were cursed by sin in Genesis 3, but we're blessed by Christ who paid for our sin on the cross. He who was rich became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich, actually receive eternal life, something you can't buy. And that's what you do, guys, when you follow Jesus. If you say you're a Christ follower, it means, I look what Jesus did, and now I'm going to do it. I'm going to open my hands, and I'm going to leverage my strength and my profit. I'm going to bless, and I'm going to serve others sacrificially just like Christ did for me. And I am so stinking proud of you guys. Because you opened your hands at Christmas, the poor will be served. The hungry will be fed. The sick will be made well. That is turning your work into worship. You see, doing business like Jesus, it means crazy things happen. At work, you might receive a bonus or a raise, and you actually say, you know what? I'm not going to use this to raise my standard of living. I'm going to use it to increase my standard of giving, okay? Because I'm not working just to build my little kingdom, but to sow into God's kingdom. Doing business like Jesus means you may not maximize every profit potential you have on earth because you're like, I'm going to maximize my reward in heaven. That's what Jesus did. After Jesus fulfilled his work, his calling, he completed his work on the cross. He says, it is finished. And he reversed the curse of sin and death. He was resurrected. And now what is Jesus doing? He is ruling over a redeemed creation in which you and I get to work and make him visible for God's glory. We reflect his excellence. We reflect his integrity. We reflect his worthiness. And your bottom line becomes blessing others. This is my final point, and then we'll close. Work as worship makes blessing others its bottom line. To follow Jesus means that you approach your life and your work as Christ approached his, as an offering to others in God. And let me say something. This has special significance for those of you who are stay-at-home parents. Or if you're raising kids and you're making meals and you hear, you know, stories like this about business people and fashion designers, and you're like, man, all I do is do the laundry, okay? All I do is pack lunches. I mean, I don't do anything glamorous in the marketplace. I'd love to be out in the world, you know, making my mark. I want to close by letting you hear from Bronwyn. Bronwyn is a stay-at-home mom who left a prestigious career in the corporate world to raise her kids at home. Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom to two sweet little girls. My day-to-day routine is getting the girls up, getting them fed, getting them clothed, getting them off to either school or whatever daily activity we have. There are times when it's difficult. You know, I had a big corporate job. I was managing multi-million dollar software implementations and making good money. I was getting to travel all over the country and um, experience things I had never experienced. Sometimes I miss that sense of accomplishment that I received in the corporate world. Sometimes I feel like, does, does God really care that I'm picking up these toys or does God really care that I'm changing this diaper? And you wonder, is this really honoring God? But this is what God wants for my life right now. He wants me to grow and nurture these children to love Him. And He is there to to help me through the difficult times when maybe I don't feel that passionate about what I'm doing. I can see a very clear correlation between my attitude and my children's attitude. If I am happy and um, motivated and ready to start the day, my kids are too for the most part. But if I am tired 
and maybe, you know, snapping at them a little, then they're not going to have a good day either. So it, it, it's very much the same in the corporate world when you're trying to motivate a team of people to do something. If you have a good attitude, hopefully they're going to have a good attitude. Uh, so it's just, it's very important to just check myself every day and make sure what I am portraying to my kids is what I want to see in them. This last year, I've become involved with a ministry at our church that ministers to teenage mothers. This ministry gives us the opportunity to mentor to a teenage mom one-on-one -on -one and to their child too and just love them where they are in life. I hope that I am setting an example for the girls and that they can see Christ's work through me. I feel like this has been an incredible way to show my children um, true service and also just staying focused on the most important thing there is and that's to raise my girls to be Christ followers. This is my job. This is honoring Him by raising these children and hopefully doing a good job to raise them to love Him as well. I treasure my job now and I treasure that responsibility and I'm glad that that God put me in a position where I could stay at home and raise my children. Isn't that beautiful? That, that's work as worship. Listen to me. There are so many indispensable roles, whether you're a parent or you're a teacher, that contribute to the flourishing of families and society that are not financially rewarded in our culture. But do not make the mistake of letting a lack of salary fool you into thinking a role lacks significance in God's eyes. If you're a mom and you're at home, you know, with an infant, or you're a dad who stays at home to take care of the kids, or you have aging parents in your house, you can feel at times like what you're doing isn't valued or it doesn't count. You could think like, you know, I wish I was doing something more valuable or having a bigger impact than just the day-to-day -day of raising kids. But listen to me, who is your inspiration for parenting? We always look to Jesus. You always go back to Christ. What did Jesus do? For three years of his life, Jesus poured his life, blood, sweat, and tears into training, loving, caring for, and hand-holding his 12 disciples. And then he literally sacrificed his life for them. At the highest point, you know what he did? He took off his cloak and he put on an apron and he got down on his knees and did what? He washed their feet. Regardless of what you believe about Jesus, you'd have to agree that's a little, beneath, beneath, little bit beneath his pay grade, yeah? <laughs> And at some point, Jesus must have wondered, is this worth it? Are these guys getting it? Is, is, what I'm, is, is washing feet my calling? These are the questions we ask every day with our own kids. Whether you're making lunches or wiping butts or you're doing the laundry or you're cleaning up Legos for the thousandth time, okay? I get it. It can seem mundane and pointless, but the reality is this. When you are raising and nurturing and spending yourself to raise a child or care for an elderly parent, you are doing gospel work. You are imitating your Lord Jesus Christ in a profound way because Jesus found his ultimate purpose in serving others beneath his potential. Because work is worship. It makes blessing others its bottom line. Your Savior was not motivated by profit. He didn't try to find a job that would expand his platform. He simply loved a small group of people. Those 12 he called his family. And he put up with their petty arguments, their backbiting, their betrayals. And he took a washcloth and a towel to wash their feet. 
to demonstrate his love. Guys, that's the purest form of work as worship. That's the heart of servant leadership. So moms, listen to me. When you go, when you go home, when you take a washcloth this week and you give your baby a bath, or dads, when, when, you, when you actually take your teen to an athletic practice, you drive them, or you help them with their homework, you take an aging parent in your home and you care for their health needs, you are mirroring Christ in the mundane. You are doing work as worship and demonstrating that people are truly far greater than prophets. Amen? You are serving the Lord Christ. And so what I want to do today now is end with a prayer of commissioning for every single person at Liquid Church who works. At every campus, here's what we're going to do. If you work, I'm going to ask you to stand up in a moment right at your seat where you are as I read a list of jobs that are represented in our congregation. We have a very diverse church. You're going to be amazed at what people do. I want to send you out with God's blessing tomorrow morning. You may even wake up and say, TGIM, thank God it's Monday. <laughs> as you realize the privilege you've been given representing Christ on the job. So I'm going to read out this list of jobs and occupations. And when you hear your job, I want you just to stand right up at your campus where you are. Now, these are broad categories, so be generous. If it sounds like something like you do, just stand up, all right? So would you stand up if you're an artist or musician or a creative person, if you work in advertising or film or television, web or print design, okay? Awesome. Take a look around. That's good. All the creatives are standing by themselves because like no one understands me. No. <laughs> Stand up if you're a business owner, if you're a business owner or entrepreneur, okay? Stand up if you work in healthcare, if you're a doctor or a nurse or, or, or work in medicine or science, okay? If you work in the pharmaceutical industry, okay? We got a lot of drug dealers at Liquid. I just uh, <laughs> acknowledge that. Education, teachers, coaches, if you are a parent at home with kids, stand on up. If you work in the government, state, local, or federal, including our military, thank God for you, or our police. If you gave me a tick on Christmas, sit down. Uh, <laughs> real estate, okay, real estate, construction, architecture, transportation. If you're in a trade, plumbers, electricians, mechanics, carpenters, lawyers, tax accountants. Okay, math, thank God for Matthew. Finances, accounting, social sciences. Okay, I've got retail, food service, hair stylist, you are anointed. I praise God for you. Uh, beauty or exercise. If you're in the nonprofit world, could be secular, could be a, you know, a Christian ministry, business, technology, consulting. Take a look around. This is amazing. The diversity. Manufacturing, engineering, okay? I have one other category that says other, okay? If I didn't call out what you do, you can stand on up. Awesome. Let's do this. I want to bow our heads together and put your hands out just to receive from God. Let me pray for your blessing right now. God, your people stand before you, and we are leaving your church, what we consider a sacred space, to go into the secular world, but we realize you have no distinction. All of it is yours. All of it is under the lordship of Christ. So now, Jesus Christ, would you pour out the Holy Spirit to empower your people who are called to work? God, fill each one now with your Holy Spirit so that we may fulfill our calling and represent Christ wherever we minister in the marketplace. God, as they take to their work tomorrow, may you fill them with the integrity to do their work with excellence, with the highest levels of ethics in their business. And God, may blessing others become our bottom line. We ask that all glory would go to Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. Would you thank everybody at this church? Thank God for you guys. You're going out to represent Jesus tomorrow morning. 
Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.